And I call them devils, these kidney devils, right? Is any team, truthfully, I mean, hand in heart, any team who can plot and implement and take down clear at the moment, I, I do think it's kidney. Join myself, Willow Callahan, along with James Skehill and Paul Murphy for the best insight this hurling season. The News Round on Off The Ball. With Gillette, for an effortless finish to your day. New Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. This is News Talk. You're welcome back to the show. So News Round coming at you slightly later than usual, given uh, events over in Georgia. 9-0 win for Ireland. Richie McCormick with us as usual on a Monday. Hello. How are you, Joe? And David McIntyre, hello to you. Evening, Joe. Hi, Richie. So I have uh, listed off the uh, general plan for the evening. We have Enda McGinley and Billy Joe Padden making sense of an extraordinary uh, afternoon at Crow Park yesterday between 8 and 9 o'clock in the show. On the rugby front, courtesy of a COVID outbreak, Joe Schmidt is going to be the de facto head coach of New Zealand against Ireland. That is this weekend. Rory O'Connor with the details. And we have much to discuss. So, Dave, let's start with Crow Park yesterday we can bury the lead but let's start with the uh, fracas because ultimately that in 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 some ways is uh, still the talking point uh, this is just a quintessentially GAA thing that we can't seem to shake from the sport it is yeah and look and inevitably there will be people getting in touch saying this is not a GAA specific issue um we we see the similar situations from time to time in other sports and look they'd be right if they were to make that point but that doesn't deflect from the fact that it is an issue that the GAA themselves must look at i'm not sure what the solution is it's something that's always been part of the GAA at all levels and this is obviously the elite level the highest level that we were watching yesterday it's just such a pity because yesterday was just one of the best games at Croke Park we've seen for a long time. I mean, it's, we've waited so long to get a really, really big crowd back into Croke Park. Obviously, the fact that the game had gone on um, and was heading towards extra time, the majority of the Kerry and Mayo fans were in situ, so it was as close to a full house as you were going to get. Mayo fans were obviously shouting for Armagh, probably, given their Connacht associations with Galway. And we should just be speaking about what was an epic encounter between those two teams. But unfortunately, only a part of that story is being told because we have to focus in some ways on what happened after the game. Now, I don't, there wasn't an awful lot in it for me overall. Now, that's not to condone, you know, those scenes. And you obviously have to say that it's not something you want younger people watching in particular. But I didn't see a dirty stroke. I didn't see a punch. It was just grappling and handbags, and there was—I mean, that's that's not the right term to use. That's it's, it's unfair. But there was just a lot of guys hanging out of each other mm. until the eye gouge, and that will be the incident that's investigated with most scrutiny, obviously. And that was just a terribly shameful, cowardly act and really, really ugly incident, as dangerous as it, as it can get. Like you're likely to, you know, recover quickly enough from a, a punch or somebody giving you a bit of a slap. But the the danger in what Tiernan Kelly did and the potential damage, long term damage that could have been done to Damien Conwer makes it just one of the uh, most heinous and ugliest incidents I've seen on a GA pitch in a long, long time. You can't condone it, of course. I suspect Tiernan Kelly is in the horrors and it was, as you said, Dave, a moment of madness and it should be dealt with. But for him, this will follow him around for a long time. Socially, this will be a very difficult uh, thing for him to shake off. And as the mob have ratcheted up over the 24 hours, I do think there has to be a moment of perspective as well and an allowance for the fact that, you know, 
people are generally not the worst things they do. It's a, you know this is not an all encompassing reflection of Tiernan Kelly. Uh, the word seems to be he's already been in touch. Uh, with Galway and apologised and absolutely people will say well that's just a, a, a cynical move on his part but I I suspect it's not because anybody who would watch themselves do something like that in a moment of madness uh, would be horrified so I do have that uh, you know sympathy I suppose is, is probably the best word for it, Richie as well for somebody who is now uh, stuck with this and tarnished with this for a very long time not that I'm condoning it, of course. Nobody's condoning it, but uh, it's fair to say that you know there, there was the initial moment of seeing it, and I think we all saw it in real time because, for whatever reason, just uh, Damien Comer's face seemed to be almost uh, the, it, it the, changed the, the, the temperature the, of the whole thing. Yeah, it did you? Yeah. Changed the temperature but, of the whole Dave, thing. You, Dave, you could tell, like what Dave describes there is pretty accurate in that it was pushing and grappling, and a lot of lads trying to reach for each other yet not really trying to do anything significant with it. And it's when the eye gouge happens, you can see players kind of break away and it kind of fractures then and, and moves to concentrate on that. And I think that speaks volumes for what happened there. But again, we can't shy away from the fact that this is the third time, at least this year, in the last five months, actually, that Armagh have been involved in something like yeah. this. Happened against Tyrone, happened against Donegal, and they went through the different disciplinary processes to, to get players off for that Donegal match in the Ulster Championship. Um, similarly, I, I, I don't know why on earth the players have to go into the dressing room at full time before extra time. That to me makes zero sense whatsoever, and I totted it up last night, and I don't know how much of an impact the um, the incident had in all of this. But there was 16 minutes between the full time whistle at the end of injury time in the 70 minutes and the start of extra time, and that like that that's lunacy um, and completely deflated the game. If not, if the incident didn't do that, of course, beforehand. But I don't understand why they have to go to the dressing room and kind of almost ask for these incidents to happen not that there's any condoning it not that there's any explaining this away but why can't they stay out on the pitch have a word from each of their coaches and go again after five minutes like they would do in any other sport Mm. what was your reading the red cards day for Sean Kelly of Galway and Aidan Nugent of Armagh It's uh, it's a very difficult one to figure out. Now, I was watching the Sunday game last night and Des Cowell was telling us that the GA had been in touch and that they had told RTE that the red cards were shown to the two guys because of their involvement in a melee. Now, if that, that was the reason they were sent off, it beggars belief that they were the only two that were sent off. If that was the criteria, if that was the reason that David Goldrick was using to show red cards, he probably should have shown 14 red cards, if not more. Yeah. possibly 20, 22 red cards. So for me, that explanation simply does not stack up. Um, was it a coincidence that the two captains walked? I don't know. Quite possibly it is. Um, when you watch the video in detail of the incident, the two guys who were sent off arguably were the two that had least involvement in some of the uglier stuff that went on. Mm. So mm. I just cannot understand how the two of them were uh, sent off. And Kelly will, for me, in my mind, absolutely be starting against Derry in the All-Ireland semi-final. I just do not see how his red card will 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 be able to uh, get through the disciplinary process without being rescinded. If they were sent off for that reason, involvement in Mali, well, then we Derry will be the biggest winners out of this because 50% of the Galway starting 15 will be suspended for the semi-final. So, well, that's the other question. Why, well, you're right. So, I mean, I saw the Sunday game as well, and that seemed to be the official GA word that they were contributing to a melee. And so, if that is the criteria, as you say, then there should be 
what 15 Galway players ler- nervously looking over their shoulder I was thinking of David Goff back in February sending off the four Tyrone players for contributing and then you know that fell through as well I mean like the disciplinary system is such a, a mockery at this stage who knows how any ban will go down anyway ultimately I mean the suspicion is they'll get it turned over in one uh, for one technicality or another but but like are we still you know 26 years on from McHale and Coyle like it doesn't seem like a satisfactory solution to just say well I'll take one of each and in this case even more indiscriminately than McHale and Coyle because as you said Kelly and Nugent didn't seem to be contributing at all really they were trying to be peacemakers so I don't know I I think it really is worth uh, the GAA clarifying the two red cards because you know, consider that maybe an All-Ireland final or something, you know, and, and look for Armagh, they're out of the championship now. But, like, that isn't a satisfactory way to deal with these Malays either, Rich, to just add say, to the fact, Add to you? the fact that they didn't count towards the game either because they got to go back to their full complement for extra time, given yeah. the nonsensical rules they're in place for that. Yeah. It does overshadow the game, which was extraordinary. So we have Enda McGinley and Billy Joe Padden on the way after 8 o'clock. We'll chat to them about all of this. I mean... Um, well, I do pity you, Joe, yeah, yeah. being in the pres- presenter's chair, trying to sum up the weekend's events in the time that you will have available to you after eight o'clock, because you could easily spend 90 minutes on that one game. Yeah. I mean, we forget there were three other quarterfinals that took place over the weekend. But if you were to go through the major incidents from the first minute to the final penalty in the Galway Armagh game, you could need you'd need the best part of 90 minutes, two hours. There were 11 or 12 standout highlight moments that could easily make the best of for the 2022 GA calendar year highlights reel. It was just an astonishing game. And there were so many moments that made your jaw drop and say to yourself, what we're watching here is a really special and counter. Yeah, it was glorious. It was glorious. Where are you on penalties, by the way, Dave? I've absolutely no problem with it. Once you go down the road of ruling out replays, there has to be a definitive way to end a game. Um, I absolutely reject the argument of some people that this is uh, a us for heading further down the football road but I mean penalties are part of Gaelic football and have been for a long long time so that argument doesn't stack up either I mean you could easily win a game with a penalty in a game of Gaelic football if somebody can come up with a better way to end a game once you rule out a replay well I've yet to hear it Mm. Some of the texts in most of these revs happen at half time on the way into the tunnel where there is usually a guard or presence. I don't think the guards should have intervened yesterday, but some people do. What would that look like? Would it make things worse or better, says Dave and Meath? I mean, it was quite noticeable there was a guard standing relatively close to the situation. Uh, can it, so a guard can text in and let me know this, by the way, because I was talking to someone who knows a guard um, and they were saying that the guards are there to police the stadium and, and look after the safety in the stadium but that the pitch is considered private property and, <laughs> and almost they should not pass now, I don't know if that's right or wrong or maybe it's just this wonderful grey area I, I, I don't know Richie what your sense of the guards is there yeah I, where do you draw the line there then you know I mean, um, I mean that, that that could head down a very tricky difficult route but it is noticeable that they you know you, you, I think there was a point where they started to step in and as they were ushering people eventually down the tunnel the guards did play a role in that but mm. obviously they weren't on the uh, sacrosanct green sod of Crow Park uh, therefore avoiding any legal loopholes there but like yeah once you start involving the police and stuff like that but it, certainly the eye gouge does flirt with the idea of common assault in, in that respect. Where are you on the penalties, by the way, Rich? 
I think the pearl clutching about penalties and just doesn't belong in our game uh, for the last 24 hours about those has been hilarious. And with Dave on that, like penalties are part of the game. If there's no replays, it has to be settled. I think they have a far more natural uh, setting within Gaelic football than they would do in rugby. Uh, for instance, as, as Munster can probably attest to uh, with their Champions Cup exploits uh, earlier on the season. Mm. I've, I've no issue. If they're not going to have replays, settle it with penalties. That's fine by me. Mm. Uh, lads, the AFL had a huge problem with fighting on the pitch, rule-breaking, banning high-profile pro, pro, high players solved. It's zero tolerance GA, the only way, says John and Limerick. Somebody else, Kenneth. If a rugby player eye-gauge an opponent, there would justifiably be uproar and demands for long suspension. This guy's a role model, must be dealt with accordingly. Suspend him for a year, no appeal. This would sort out the increasingly ugly side that has crept into the game. The aggressive bustling. The fact that Tiernan yeah, Kelly, Joe, will... The, the, the process will happen yeah. and Tiernan Kelly is unfortunately for him and like I know it's hard for someone to be defined by this moment but you're right he'll be remembered as the guy that put his fingers into the eyes of Damien Conner for a long long time mm. he, he will he'll ultimately will have to face the music and that's just something he's going to have to deal with but um, I, I, the people who are calling for lifetime bans are, are look. Let's just let's just see how the next couple of weeks pan out and what ultimately what the the situation is going to be when when everything is concluded. But they, I mean, what annoyed me most was that it, it was all so needless. Stephen Forker and or Stephen Campbell and Damien Comer were throwing a couple of shoulders at each other and that, as they were leaving the field. I mean. So what? Mm. That should have been in the end of it. There was mm. absolutely no need for anybody else to become involved. The two two of the most experienced players in the pitch having a bit of a go at each other as maybe trying to get the upper hand psychologically as they were leaving the field, knowing extra time was incoming. That They should have fired a couple of shoulders at each other and walked down those steps, and that would have been the end of it. Mm. But everything that came in behind after that was just so unnecessary. Mm. Uh, the aggressive bustling that's tolerated between players when the ball is nowhere near is tolerated in GEA, especially when sub is introduced. What's that all about? It's a major contributor to mass brawls. It wouldn't be tolerated in any other sports, says Joe in Dublin. We'll crack on with the news round, I think. We'll get to more of your texts as we go. We've got Enda McGinley and Billy Joe Padden on the way after 8 o'clock. The news round is brought to you with let Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Richie, we were late starting the news round. We were chatting with Ruth Fahey and Stephen Doyle because Ireland were very comprehensive winners this evening. They were indeed, just to recap, Ireland back in the playoff spot in their Women's World Cup qualifying group with two games to play. A Katie McCabe hat-trick helped towards a 9-0 victory away to Georgia this evening. There was also a first international goal in Gorey for 17-year-old Abby Larkin. Ireland have two games remaining in Group A, the first of which is at home to fellow playoff hopefuls Finland on September the 1st. There is action, of course, in the League of Ireland tonight. Shamrock Rovers playing their second Dublin Derby inside four days tonight. Sean Gannon comes into the side for them. Ronan Finn is back from suspension but only gets a place on the bench for their game away to St. Pat's. A Rovers win would see the move 10 points clear of Dundalk at the top of the SSC or Tristy Premier Division kickoff at 7.45. The top three in the first division all on the road tonight. Cork City hold a one-point lead ahead of their game away to Treaty United. Second place Galway head to Bishopsgate to play Longford Town and elsewhere third place Waterford are away to Athlone and Bray face Wexford. News this evening from Mayo. Yeah, not really uh, surprising this. James Horan has stepped down as Mayo senior football manager. His second spell in charge was ultimately ended by yesterday's All-Ireland quarterfinal loss to Kerry. Across both spells, Horan led Mayo to four All-Ireland final appearances, six Connacht titles and the 2019 Alliance Football League. 
Yeah, so his first in October uh, 2010 and he reached All-Ireland Finals in 12 and 13 and stepped down and then returned in 18 and there were All-Ireland Finals 2020, that COVID final against Dublin and then last year against Tyrone where they never really showed up and there was a flatness all year this year really and against Kerry when they had more attacks and more shots on goal actually which is something we'll chat with the lads later on it's interesting that they got more attacks away and more shots on goal the inaccuracy was uh, for the level that they're trying to compete at Dave it was uh, abysmal really Uh, this season has just felt like the end of the line and and they are in a state of transition Horan going there really copper fastens that sense yeah it does I think there was the manner in which Kerry were able to canter over the finishing line yesterday and Mayo never really landed a punch on them and they never really hurt Kerry never had Kerry really feeling like it was a true contest that we we expected Mayo to come racing into that first quarter and, and show us that they actually still had some of that old passion in them that they have delivered when people have written them off on so many times occasions over the last 10 or 12 years I mean there's a quirky rather unfortunate symmetry to it from James Hoard's point of view and that both of his spells now have been ended by Kerry um, but it, this one feels very different in 2014 it was after one of the great occasions we've had in the in the GA over the last 25 years or so that replay in the sweltering heat and the suffocating atmosphere that was the Gaelic Grounds in Limerick which is just, I was commentating that afternoon. It was an extraordinary day. I mean, one etched into my memory. And I remember being in the posse of journalists around a, a little counter in the canteen beneath the stand in the Gaelic grounds when James Horn was stood alone, surrounded by about 20 of us. And he could barely speak. His emotions were really to the surface. And you knew that was the end of the road. I wasn't in Croke Park yesterday. I was there Saturday. And I'm sure there was probably a very different sense when he was being asked about it. Um, I know it only the news was only confirmed today, but you really did feel once the game was over yesterday that we probably wouldn't see James Horn on the sideline for Mayo next season they definitely made some progress since he came in they were in the second spell but I think over the eight seasons that he's been Mayo manager the two games that will leave him and his players involved with the most regrets will be the Donegal final of 2012 and the 2021 final against Tyrone they really were the two opportunities, the biggest chances that Mayo had under his tenure to win that elusive All-Ireland. And unfortunately, they probably didn't show up to the degree they would have hoped and liked in either final. Yeah, well, it was a dreadful start, you remember, in 2012. And Donegal were fairly awesome that year, but they certainly didn't show up last year. That one's a kicker. Maybe they didn't fully recover from that this year. It's hard to put your finger, Rich, on this year's uh, Mayo situation. Abysmal against Galway, abysmal against Kildare, and as Dave said, never landed a blow on Kerry. So something's come unstuck a touch. It doesn't take away from what a brilliant contribution, like genuinely brilliant contribution James Horn has made as player and now manager, but something has come unstuck this year. Yeah, he's raised the levels, certainly across his, um, his yeah. two terms in charge of Mayo. I don't think there's any dispute in that whatsoever. Um, I think Mayo kind of get the, the Mickey taken out of them a lot for, you know, quote-unquote choking in finals, etc. But to be competing so consistently at that level under his uh, two terms is is quite remarkable for any Gaelic football side, particularly in the era of Dublin. But their main problem is they just can't magic forwards out of thin air. And that's like that's any team's problem. And it's taken a while, if you look at someone like Galway, to, I guess, take get the most and get injury-free runs uh, in the likes of Damien Comer and Shane Walsh. 
uh, and to actually have them firing on all cylinders. Mayo need two or three more uh, on top of Killing O'Connor. And they could be there thereabouts again, mm. but they're going to undergo another series of, I guess, uh, departures from the squad over the next couple of years. I'm not you know, talking about anybody leaving in particular at this moment in time, but it's going to happen, just given the age profile, particularly in defence. So, um, it, sorry. I was just about to uh, Dave get your thoughts because I was I was watching you obviously on in on Saturday at Crow Park. So in Derry and Galway, we have two teams who've had their fair share of uh, encounters this season, and they, they they both come in feeling pretty good about themselves. What of Dublin and Kerry ahead of this mammoth mouthwatering semi final tenth of July? Are we still looking at both saying, well, neither has been unduly tested? Well, absolutely neither have been unduly tested. I mean, in Mayo, Kerry have obviously probably come across the highest quality opposition, but Mayo, as we've just been discussing, are not the team they once were and never really came close to Kerry yesterday. Dublin have not been tested at all. I mean, they've beaten sides that are better than Cork, more handsomely. Kildare, you would argue, are a better side than Cork. And they're a Division One team, and Cork obviously uh, go, barely stayed up in Division Two this year. And Dublin just did what was required. I mean, I think it was nine efforts from Dean Rock, eight of them freeze. I think one was off a mark that he took and fired over himself. It's very difficult to know where Dublin are if they really are given a stern test. They didn't need to be at anything close to their best at the weekend. They will be obviously a far better outfit when James McCarthy and Conor Callaghan are back in the team. There was some real positives I thought for Dublin. I thought Lee Gannon had a really good game in quarter back. He has, he's got real um, Patrick Durkin almost qualities, Lee Keegan qualities in the manner which he seems to get himself on the right side of the attack at the mm. right time, mm. just bursting on late, kicked up a couple of scores himself. But they do like a goal throughout when Con isn't in the side 15 you would hope from a Dublin point of view both of those will be fit and I'm not sure what we've learned about Kerry because they haven't really been tested either so it's uh, it's going to be a really interesting one I think I'm on that game and I can't wait it's probably going to be a sellout and I hope there are more fireworks between those two than they had in their two games at the weekend mm. Galway Derry is going to be fascinating Cavanagh mm. um, in the Talchon Cup final that day so I'll be at Croke Park to watch that and I'm really looking forward to that semi-final I think that's going to be close to a full house as well yeah. Derry were electric at the weekend and Galway are improving with every game so I mean they are two really mouth-watering semi-finals and the last time Galway won, or Derry and Galway we met in the All-Ireland semi-final was back in 98 and that was obviously the last time that Derry won the Ulster title so 24 years on they're back with Derry as Ulster champions in an All-Ireland semi-final Derry were highly fancied that day and were beaten Goey obviously went on to win the All-Ireland I, I wouldn't know where to go in terms of picking the favourites this time around maybe Derry edging it because they've shown so much positives in their four games but uh, I just cannot wait for those two semi-finals they really could be potential classics both of them Yes we spent so much of the football season saying it doesn't feel like the football season's really got going yet I think we're now officially up and running from the uh, so. quarterfinal stages I think we're, uh, we're up and running so Richie plenty more going on where are you going next? Uh, SW19 Novak Djokovic needed four sets to beat the world number 81 Kwan Su Soon Wu in the Wimbledon first round today last year's semi-finalist Hubert Hercash has been the biggest casualty so far on day one the seventh seed losing in five sets to Alejandro Davidovich Fakina no such worries for third seed Kasper Rudin or ninth seed Cam Norrie who both beat Spanish opposition in straight sets today uh, meanwhile Andy Murray is a set down to the wonderfully named Jack Duckworth on centre court at the moment mm-hmm. Emirat Ukana meanwhile beat Alison Van Udvang 6-4 6-4 to move into the 
second round. Also straightforward today for the second and third seeds. Annette Contevite beat Bernarda Perra in straight sets to set up a second round meeting with Germany's Eula Niemeyer, while Ons Jabeur needed just 55 minutes to dispatch the Swedish qualifier Miriam Bjorklund. Mm. Padre Carrington, I think, deserves a mention at this stage in the show. Yeah, the, uh, the Padraig Harrington held off the final day surge of Steve Stricker, his old Ryder Cup nemesis, to win his first ever senior seniors major. Harrington's final round at 72, enough for a one-stroke victory at the US Senior Open at Saucon Valley. Having taken a five-shot lead into the final round, Harrington was delighted to get over the line. I think I said it here yesterday, you know, when you, you come to the Champions Tour, it's here to win the win tournaments and win the big tournaments, uh, try and win the majors, uh, you know, and... I really appreciated the type of week it was. You know, the USGA set up a, a fabulous course, much tougher than I, than I had expected. Uh, I knew that would play into my hands, uh, but it was really nice that, you know, really solid, tough golf course. Sukhum Valley is, is Sokken Valley is excellent. And, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of pressure on this type of style of golf course when you're leading. Uh, you, you don't want to make a mistake. You know, anytime you're more than 20 feet away from the hole you're in, you're in trouble in some way so it's it, it was definitely a tension filled day yeah it sure was I mean he had to hold a big birdie put on 15 when he looked to be in trouble and just settle the ship Dave so Harrington has this like a rubber stamping of his uh, greatness I don't think we quite call him four time major winner because then we have to call Colin Montgomery <laughs> a major winner and I, I know you don't want to do that uh, but uh, if you're going to win a senior op- uh, major then the US Open is the most prestigious and it's another kind of Harrington doing another first in Irish golf which is kind of cool yeah, it is. I mean, his career didn't and his legacy didn't need rubber stamping, but this just adds an extra gloss to it. It's the first USGA event that he's won, which is nice. It also has him in three of next year's four majors, which I think is just brilliant. Like, he can really target those. He showed at Whistling Straits last year, or Keogh Island, sorry, last year, that it, with Mickelson won at Keogh Island, didn't he? Yeah. Last year, yeah, that he, he showed he can compete. He can still compete. His length, obviously, this week would have had him with, as a major advantage over the field, but it's still long enough to be able to compete with the big boys as well on the regular tour and if anybody wants to get a flavour as to how he played yesterday it wasn't his A game but there's a brilliant 22 minute video on YouTube if you just search for the highlights of the US Seniors Open yesterday and it gives you every single shot that Porrick Harrington hit yesterday so if you haven't got time to watch the full highlights of the final round just go through that and it'll show you exactly what Porrick Harrington did but the last four holes in particular after the, he drained that putt for birdie he had a couple of really difficult two putts very um, undulating greens he had to put over the spine of a, and a ridge over a green on a couple of occasions and really could have got away from him and it would have been his old nemesis Steve Stricker that would have snatched it from him after he produced a quite brilliant round over $500 and $1,000 in prize money not that the money probably means as much to Porrick Harrington as the title but um, it was just a nice feeling watching Harrington going down the stretch in a really big event and bring back memories of 2007 and 2008 and, and his, his real heyday yeah and not least with the uh, US commentary absolutely willing Steve Stricker over the line I mean at every turn they were saying oh Harrington in huge trouble huge trouble wait no he's in the fairway so that was kind of the vibe for the last uh, hour or two uh, Richie so I mean this New Zealand tour has lots of intrigue it just mm. uh, it just got a little more, bit more interesting 
certainly has yeah Joe Schmidt has been described as a wonderful resource to the All Blacks ahead of their first test with Ireland head coach Ian Foster and forwards coach John Plumtree are among the New Zealand party isolating due to COVID-19 remember that Ireland's former head coach has been working with the Auckland Blues and was due to join Foster's staff later this year COVID's also touched the Ireland squad Mac Hansen isolating from the rest of the squad at the moment Munster's Niall Scannell has joined the touring party as cover with Rob Herring having suffered a knock in training Ian Henderson is another who's awaiting the result of a scan ahead of Saturday's sold-out first test at Eden Park. I mean, a lot of interesting aspects to where New Zealand are. COVID in the camp now is the latest, but they have their coaching foster under significant pressure for his job with Scott Robertson, the you know the, the, every, the lurking on the outside and everybody's uh, favourite guy. They were beaten last year by Ireland, by France, by South Africa. Three defeats in a calendar year is a lot. So they are really trying to steady the ship. Schmidt was coming in anyway, Dave, but it was supposed to be officially after this Irish tour and he was coming in for the rugby uh, championship with the first game away to South Africa. So he's in now and in effect, we'll talk to Rory O'Connor later, but in effect, because he has the most experience of anybody who's uh, still COVID free, he is the head coach this week into being in the box if Foster can't be in the box on Saturday. I'm sure Foster will still be picking the team and having a big, big input. But in effect, it's Schmidt running the show. I suspect right now he's dusting off his favourite starter plays of all time and he's going to wow everyone at Eden Park. Yeah, it's incredible, really. What a level of intrigue it's brought to an, all, an already fascinating test series. And I've maybe we'll find out in years to come from people around him at the time or from Joe himself what it has been like for him to no longer be the main man and not to be a number one, the head coach, as he was all the way through his time at Leinster and with Ireland. And maybe it suits him at this stage of his career. I don't know. But he has the opportunity to kind of be front and centre this weekend. He'll know a lot of the guys inside out, obviously. I'm not sure how much of a bearing it will have in, in terms of the the insight that he brings, it being a major advantage to the All Blacks for this first test. But it's just one added layer and onto what was already just a such an interesting series of games and uh, and and it's made me look forward to Saturday morning even more than I already was mm. Mm. Uh, by the way so a uh, clarification on the Gardaí situation when it comes to Crow Park I was suggesting I had heard from someone who had spoken to a Gardaí this morning and I, I wasn't sure if it was uh, true or not that in effect the actual pitch is deemed private property and so the Guardy are there to look after uh, the fans and so a texter to 53106 says you are correct as Gardaí were not allowed to encroach on the pitch it could be seen as a private place under the Public Order Act the pitch that is now if a player makes a complaint we can investigate an assault etc and he says technically if we witness an assault regardless of a complaint we can and should intervene though I suspect it was very possible they missed uh, certain aspects of the fracas yesterday so that that's why the uh, member of Angardi Shikana was standing there watching it all and saying well, down, we would have seen, down we with have this seen sort of thing. The, we've seen Gardi escort referees up from the field many times haven't we yeah 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 so I'm not sure where if that is that a is that an extra strand to it is that another area that's slightly gray I'm not sure but in my mind's eye I can I can remember many referees being assisted from the field and surrounded by by Gardi isn't the whole uh, situation though that this is just an extremely uh, grey area this is, is an aspect to Irish life that as a member of Angardia Shikana I'm just not getting involved with that because Lord knows where it ends you know and like what's uh, if you're the guard and you start getting involved like you know why, is everyone suddenly going to stop maybe they would I, mean, I suppose yeah, yeah. there's a possibility 
But yeah. there's, a, there's a chance no one didn't realise that you're a guard and you just get dunted around and before you know it you're on your backside and everyone's laughing at you and I don't know, that's not the greatest advert either. Yeah, it's a difficult one. There's no r- probably right answer to it. But as we said already, I don't want to be repeating ourselves, but bar from, apart from the gouge, yes. I mean, if there were seven or eight guardies surrounding the incident and just monitoring it, they would not have seen anything akin to a really ugly moment on the street after closing time on a Saturday night no, in agreed. any of our towns and cities. Nobody threw a big punch. Nobody got hurt. Nobody was in danger until that incident, as we've already mm. discussed in detail. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed, agreed. Rich, do you want to bring us a last story or two? Uh, yeah, where we go? The Spain have had their appeal against expulsion from next year's Rugby World Cup rejected. They were punished for fielding an ineligible player during qualifying. So it means Romania have been confirmed, confirmed as part of Pool B and they'll provide Ireland's opening opposition in Bordeaux in September of next year. Uh, Reese McLenaghan, meanwhile, has been cleared to compete for Northern Ireland at the upcoming Commonwealth Games along with Eamon Montgomery and Ewan McAteer. McLenaghan was barred from the Birmingham Games as they had already represented Ireland at international competition but an International Gymnastics Federation board meeting state has reversed that decision allowing McLenaghan to defend his pommel horse gold in Birmingham. Okay, fellas, great stuff. Thank you for an extended news round this evening. Dave McIntyre, pleasure. Thanks guys. Richie, thanks very much. Chat to you tomorrow. Just to uh, mention, by the way, Golf Weekly is heading to Colleen Castle next Tuesday, tomorrow week for, uh, I suppose, uh, a classic of sorts for all the Golf Weekly friends of the pod. Peter Laurie, uh, mainstay of the podcast, is going to do a clinic. Uh, We will uh, record the podcast after the round of golf. There'll be food, prizes and uh, all at Colleen Castle, which is just a brilliant venue. So Golf Weekly days are exclusive to uh, friends of the pod so if you're interested in getting involved we'll have a few more of these across the summer then you can go to odbsports.com forward slash golf weekly or you'll find us on patreon as well and and sign up there is much uh, as you can imagine much to discuss in the world of golf right now back in one sec i'll get to a few of your texts to 53106 we'll have rugby after nine this evening ga is coming up between eight and nine